Good evening. Thank you for being here tonight. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we, we are so blessed by your word and the, the um, truths that we find in it over years and years and years of, of reading and studying your word. We thank you that there's always something new. There's always something fresh. There's always something that can speak to our hearts. And we pray tonight, Lord God, that you would do just that, that through your word, through this message, that uh, you would just challenge us and, and you would speak to us and that we would uh, go home knowing you better and knowing how to serve you better, knowing how to live a healthy life in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that you have been enjoying the series um, the Art of Living series that's been taking place over the last several weeks. And tonight, I have the honor of closing out the introductory section of um, the series with Proverbs chapters 6 and 9. Now, in my studies, I use several different things. I use some um, one-year Bible devotionals, and I use some commentaries. I'm just going to tell you that now, so we got that over with, Okay. There are so many different topics covered in these two chapters of Proverbs, especially in chapter 6. And I thought it would be wise tonight not to go through these chapters line by line and try to explain every single verse, but instead to kind of focus on wisdom versus folly, what those two things look like, and um, how we can live a life of wisdom. Solomon authored the book of Proverbs, and he is known for his wisdom. Yes. Let's just take a quick jump back into just a little bit of his story, just to set the stage. In 2 Chronicles, this, this scripture is not in your notes, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, it says this, Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. That night, God must have been impressed because that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in this place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? That's what he asked for. God said to Solomon, again, I think God was impressed, since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern the people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you, and I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had, 
and none after you will have. Wow, that was quite an exchange, wasn't it? Pretty impressive. So if you think about Solomon and how he chose to start out his ruling, his kingdom, he chose wisely. Of all the things he could have asked God for, he asked for wisdom to govern his people. So he started out choosing the path of wisdom. He started out seeking after God and pursuing a life directed by God. But in the latter part of his life, towards the end of his life, he got off track. And he began to move away from his God being his number one pursuit. And he compromised what he knew was right. He began to lean on his own ability and his own wisdom and his own desires, and he ended up making a mess of a life that was pretty good. I guess we could say that Solomon was an expert. He's writing these passages that we're looking at tonight, and I guess we could say he was an expert on wisdom and on folly. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? So folly has been defined as trying to make sense of life apart from God. Trying to make sense of life without God in it. That is how we define folly tonight. Whereas wisdom is respecting God and honoring him by allowing his word to be the guidebook for your life. Have you ever seen the cartoons where there's an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other? Yeah, we've all, we've all seen those pictures. Well, that's what's happening in our life every day. There are two voices calling out to us every day, and we're going to hear about those in, in these passages that we read tonight and we study. These two voices have two names. One is named Wisdom, one is named Folly, and they are both calling out to us all day, every day. You can visualize this. Another, another way to visualize it is by seeing a fork in the road. Wisdom equals the right path, the right way to go, and folly equals the easy way to go. Every day we're faced with millions of decisions and um, we have to decide what we're going to do. We're ha we have to decide the path that we're going to take. We have to decide, should I make that purchase? Should I click that link? Should I go to that party? Should I get in that car? Should I say what I'm thinking? So many decisions, and each of us can lead us down a path of wisdom or a path of folly. Excuse me. Let's start out with chapter 6. This chapter starts out with a continuation of instruction of a father to a son, maybe Solomon to his son. So, and that's what was happening in the prior chapter, chapter 5 as well. In this chapter, Solomon is giving a warning of things that can trap us. He is trying to tell us how we can be wise and, and avoid the potential entrapments in life that we face each day. He tells us there's lots and lots of ways that we can be trapped. We can be trapped by finances. Have you ever been trapped by finances? Yeah, that's no fun. We can be trapped by our words. The things we say can cause us a lot of trouble if we're not wise. We can be trapped by laziness. We can be trapped by bad company. All of these things and many, many more 
can be traps in our lives. So let's read the scriptures starting with verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. And I'm going to read through verse 5. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself. Since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands, Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. If we lack wisdom, we can be trapped like an animal in a snare or a net. I think that is a wonderful picture, a wonderful word picture to help us understand what can happen if we don't practice wisdom in our lives. The first thing that we want to talk about is the trap of our finances. We must master our finances. One of the areas in life that requires self-discipline and wisdom is our finances. There are plenty of financial traps. Um, Unmanaged debt, you know, you're just in so far and you don't really know how to get out. It just keeps piling up and piling up. You just feel trapped. Unwise investments. Perhaps you poured your money into something that you thought was going to be lucrative and and really pay some dividends, and when it all played out, that just wasn't the case. Foolish commitments, committing to something maybe that you don't know all the details in and, and you find yourself in a mess. We just don't want to get in over our heads. If we can't afford something, If we don't have the money to pay for it, exercise wisdom. If you're in a financial mess, this scripture tells us to do everything in your power to get out of it as soon as possible. Don't let debt hang over you. This is one of the reasons why we promote um, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, because we know that this can be such a burden in someone's life. Um, He teaches us to be debt-free, And on his show, if you've ever listened to his radio show or seen any of his videos, you hear people talk over and over again how after they've they've practiced the things that he has taught and they've been able to climb out of that debt that was was, um, holding them, that was trapping them and ensnaring them in life, you hear them talk about how free they feel, the freedom that comes with that. Um, they're, They're experiencing financial peace. They feel it when they get out from under debt. Have you ever thought about that phrase, under debt? That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Because debt weighs us down, it adds pressure to our lives, and it, it, it is a very real burden that is hard to escape. So in the next section, we are going to look at some more warnings that, that uh, Solomon is giving us. It says, starting with verse 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Ooh, none of that sounds good, does it? No. 
In this scripture, um, clearly, Solomon is talking about laziness, but also we can look at it as being a master of our time, thinking about how we're spending our time. The Bible, especially in the wisdom-filled book of Proverbs, compares the cause and effect relationship between, between hard work and rewards and laziness and ruin. It talks about it over and over again. In this passage here, Solomon points to the ant who demonstrates wisdom in planning and thinking ahead. The ant has nobody pushing him, nobody telling them what to do, no, no leader saying, you gotta, you gotta get this done, you gotta get that done. He is just getting things done. So what can we learn from him? You think an ant, what can I learn from an ant? Remember those ant farms they used to have? I don't know, do they still have those ant farms? I used to look at those when I was a little girl, and I think, man, they never stop. They just keep going and going and going and going and going and going. It's kind of like my mother-in-law. She's always on the move, going and going and going and going, and busy, busy, busy. Um, what can we learn from them? We can learn um, self-leadership. We can learn self-motivation, take an initiative. All of these are great qualities and, and produce hard work in your life. Nobody is telling the ant what to do but he's always making preparations for what's ahead. He's not living in the moment, but he's planning and thinking about the future. The word has a lot to say about laziness. It has a lot to say about being slothful, about procrastination, and being a sluggard. Have you ever watched a slug? Have you ever watched him move? You've got to watch for a long time because they don't move very fast. It's not very exciting. Um, none of these qualities, laziness, slothfulness, procrastination, being a sluggard, none of these qualities are synonymous with wisdom. And they're actually quite the opposite, in fact. So here's just a few scriptures that, as I studied, and these are not in your notes either, um, as I, as I studied, here's just a few scriptures that move us towards being hardworking people, people of action. Um, they should move us to the hard work habits of the uh, industrious ant that's described in chapter 6. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Have you ever been quoted that scripture before? Has anyone ever quoted that to you when you were about to do something or you were representing your church or, or, or some Christian organization and people tell you, you have to do the job right because you are re representing Jesus Christ. And as we keep that in our minds, we should be motivated to do what we might call here at Calvary above and beyond what's expected. Then in Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Again, don't just do something. Don't you hate to see someone do something halfway, half-heartedly, not, fu not fully in? Um, the Scripture tells us, don't do it that way. Work at it with all your heart, just as if the Lord were standing over your shoulder watching, because he is. Um, do it as if he's right there watching you and going to give you a grade on how you perform. And then in Ecclesiastes 9.10, it says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Again, 
work hard, be a hard worker, take a lesson from the ant. In one of the studies that I looked at, they made this statement, your work ethic can be more valuable than your skill set. And what they, were, what they were pointing out there is there are some people who just, they kind of got it going on. They're just kind of gifted and they, they're able to do things um, really well. But sometimes those people just kind of glide by on that. They just kind of lean into their talents and they get things done, but they really don't work hard at it and do it as well as they could. But somebody else who's just a hard worker can surpass them, even though they don't have that specific skill set or, or talent ability or ability, they can surpass them if they work hard and they're determined to do the very best that they can do and to work hard continuously. Um, so I just want to challenge you. We need to work hard. We need to be diligent and let our eagerness keep us moving forward so that we can be an inspiration to other people when they see how we are determined to do things. Something in my, that pops to my mind is our ladies gathering, um, Refresh. My goal is always when the ladies come into the room, when they walk into the room on those Thursday nights, when they walk in and they see everything, I want the room to scream to them, someone here cares. Somebody cares that I'm coming here tonight. And so from the moment they walk in to the moment they leave, I want to serve them. I want them to feel comfortable. I want them to enjoy the, the um, atmosphere of the room. I want them to get something from what God wants to say to them that night. And that's just my goal. Every time the ladies get together is that I would, when they walk in, they know somebody cares that they're there. It's a good thing. So moving forward to verse 20, still in chapter 6, we're going to move back to some um, parental warnings. In verse 20, it says, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart and fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light. And correction and instruction are the way to life, keeping you from the immortal woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Now this passage tells us that we need to hold on Solomon was telling his son, hold on to the things that we've taught you. We've given you a good foundation. We've taught you wisdom. We've invested in you. We've poured into you. We want you to hold on to those things. Don't walk away from what we know to be right and true. I love where it says, um, it instructs us to fasten this teaching, to fasten this wisdom around our neck. I mean, never let it go away from you. Make it a part of who you are. Um, let it shape your character and plant it deep, deep, deep in your heart, never to be forgotten. Wouldn't it be something if wisdom was so ingrained into the person that, that we are 
that it guides our thoughts and words and actions naturally. Wouldn't that, is that possible? Can that happen? I believe it can if we pray continually for wisdom, that it would just come to us, that it wouldn't be forced, that there wouldn't be this great debate going on inside of us. Should I do this or should I do this? But we would just know because we have sought after God, we have sought after wisdom and knowledge so much that it just becomes a part of our DNA. There's no angel and no devil whispering in our ears because we have knocked the devil off of our shoulder and told God every day, we want your wisdom to guide us. So dedicated to living wisely that it feels natural. Wouldn't that be awesome? I believe we can get there. There are truths, these are truths that should guide us. And in these truths, in these things that have been poured into us from the time we were children, we can find rest. You don't have to worry. When you're making a decision and you're a child of God and you're asking God for wisdom and you make a decision and you know that you've heard from God, you don't have to worry. You can find rest in that. You don't have to second-guess yourself. Um, when we succeed in this, we find protection. We, we know we're not leaning on our own abilities. We're not leaning on, the own, on our smarts or our wisdom. We're leaning on God. We're leaning on the things that we've learned from his word, that we've learned from his teachings, and we know that we can move forward and we will be protected by him. He will bring light to our path as we rest in these things. He will illuminate those decisions that we have to make. He will illuminate the right choice for us as we pursue wisdom. When we succeed at this, when, we, when this becomes a part of who we are, when it's fastened around our neck and just a part of our DNA, when we hold on to this wisdom based on God's word and his truth, when that happens, we will find it in the moment of temptation that we experience in life. When we're faced with temptation, when devil throws something in front of us and says, take that, what are you gonna do with that? In those moments, those teaching, that wisdom, that knowledge that we have acquired and we have sought after over all the years will move to the front of our mind and our heart and our spirit and we will be able to make the choice that God desires us to make. Have you ever thought about the prayer that we pray, lead us not into temptation, and what that really means? Sometimes we might think that that means we're asking God to, like, remove the things that tempt us from our lives, to take them out of our path so that we don't have to face them. That's not at all what that prayer is. When we ask God to lead us not into temptation, we are praying for God to change our desires. We are praying that those things that once were tempting to us, because we desire God, because we desire his wisdom so much, those things that were once tempting to us are now unappealing. They are now distasteful to us. They are now unsavory to my heart unattractive to my eyes. I don't want to look at that woman anymore. I don't want to look at that man anymore. God has taken that away from me. He changed those things that were tempting at one time in my life, and he's moved me to what he desires for me. And he takes those things and makes them unfulfilling to my mind and my spirit. 
So that's chapter 6. Are you ready for chapter 9? All right. Chapter 9 actually paints a pretty clear contrast between wisdom and folly. It, it talks about wisdom first. So, chapter 1, chapter 9, verse 1 says this. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. Now, I'm going to have to ask Pastor to somehow illuminate for me sometime what those seven pillars are. I, di I didn't find that. I would really like to know what they are, the seven pillars of wisdom that were set up. But I can, I can bring out some other things. Wisdom is not um, just sitting idly by. Wisdom, we're referring to wisdom as a character now. Wisdom is calling out to you. Wisdom is inviting the simple. And if you'll remember, I think Pastor pointed out when the Proverbs talk about the simple, a lot of times we're talking about someone who is inexperienced, maybe someone who is youthful. Um, but wisdom is inviting the simple to come in and share the feast. So, wisdom is inviting us to her house to show us the way to life, how to experience life, to enrich us and to invite us to a feast, not in a gluttonous, pig-out manner, but in a way to come in and, and be enjoyed the way that God intended, to enjoy life the way God intended us to enjoy it. Verse 6 says, leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. That sounds pretty enticing to me. I want to live. I, wanna, I don't want to just live. I want to live a full life. I want to live a life of wisdom and a life that pleases God. I want to discover God's wisdom in my life, and I want to know and understand everything that he has for me. I want to discover purpose and fulfillment as I seek after God's wisdom. I hope that is something that all of you pray for. Following after wisdom brings rewards. As we move forward in verse 7, we begin to receive some warnings of folly. It says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. This portion of Scripture makes a very clear distinction between wisdom and folly through how we deal with criticism, 
How many in here like criticism? Thank you for being honest. Um, in verse 7, it talks about someone giving us criticism through mocking us or making fun of us. And it tells us there's no point in giving a response to that. There's no point in giving a response because it will just fuel the mocker to continue dishing out hurtful words, unhelpful words, unkind words, unproductive words. Do you know someone like that, that if they're just really going after you, if you say something back to them, they just go stronger. They just go after you more. That's what a mocker does. But if a wise person is giving you input, if they are giving you constructive criticism, what should we do? We should receive it. We should welcome it. We should take it and chew on it and say, God, what are you trying to say to me? What, is this person on track? Or do you want me to hear something? And weigh it out and seek God to see if there's something that he wants you to learn. You know the phrase, consider the source? Well, think about those two things I just talked about. The mocker giving you criticism Consider the source. It's a mocker. It's someone who has no good intention for you. And then also the wise person giving you advice, giving you constructive criticism. Consider the source. It's someone who has experience, who is a godly person, who is seeking your good, and maybe telling you things that aren't easy to hear. If you are wise, our response to criticism should not be to insult the person or to abuse them or to hate them. Instead, we must look to learn and to seek to become wiser still. Did you know that no matter how wise you are, you can always be wiser? There's no like, I have arrived at the pinnacle of wisdom. That doesn't happen. It's a continual process in our lives. There's always more God has for us to learn. Now, to, to take in the criticism, to receive it, that is not a natural thing for us. That is not an easy, especially if it's something that we don't want to hear. Sometimes people will give you criticism and you'll be like, thank you, God's been kind of dealing with me in that and now I know I know I'm hearing from God. And other times, it'll be something that just blindsides you, and you'll be like, I do what? I, I come across what way? And that is a time that it's, it's not easy at all. And our natural response sometimes in those kinds of criticism is just to lash out, say, you don't know what you're talking about, or I don't want to hear it, um, or maybe point out a weakness in the critic. Well, well, who are you to talk? You got that same problem. Um, or, or maybe to justify what they're correcting. Well, I had to do that because da-da-da-da-da. Have you ever done that? I have. A lot. Those are the natural responses to lash out, to point out their weakness, or to make an excuse. But the wise seek to learn from rebuke or instruction, even when it's a hard thing to do, even when they're hard words to hear. We look for what God wants to say to us. 
You know, there are times when, um, when I'm sitting in here and my husband's preaching or someone's sharing a message. There are times in prayer when um, God just starts to move in my heart. Um, there are times when people might say something to me and um, it begins to move in my spirit. There are times when I'm reading the Word and something that I may have read a bunch of times before, suddenly God just stabs me with it. And he says, listen to this today. We should welcome God moving and working inside of us. When you feel that churning inside, it's, it's, not, it's not a comfortable feeling, but it's the moving and the working and the churning of the Holy Spirit refining us and, and shaping us and molding us into an image that is more like Christ. When we feel that happening inside of us, we should welcome that. We should welcome that God is working out the things in our hearts and our spirits that need to be just fine-tuned. They need to be changed. He does this, like I said, he does this through his word. He does it through sermons. He does it in our prayer times. He does it through other people bringing something to us that they feel God has told them to say to us. I call these wonderfully painful ways that God works in our lives. It's wonderful and it's painful, but what makes it wonderful is you know you're being formed more into the image of Christ, which is what we should desire. We should desire to be more and more and more like him. In verse 10, it talks about where wisdom starts. The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Wisdom starts by fearing the Lord, and that's not saying you should be afraid or scared of God at all. That's not what it's saying. Although there are times <laughs> when you maybe should be, um, but what we mean when we say the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord is showing a respect for who God is. It is allowing God to be our foundation, allowing him to be that upon which everything in our life is built. It is standing in awe of him and all that he is, all that he represents, all the potential that he has to pour into our lives and realizing that his ways are higher than our ways. Now, I don't want to move on without pointing out that God blesses the life lived in wisdom. If you look back at verse 11, it says, in wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added. And in verse 12, it says, wisdom will bring reward. You know what he's doing there? He's giving us incentive. He's saying, if you do this, this is what's going to happen in your life. He's bringing incentive to our pursuit of wisdom. Now, the flip side of wisdom is folly. I thought it was interesting that he talked about wisdom first and folly last. 
think maybe he wants, you know how the last thing you hear is what really sticks in your brain? He wants this to stick in your brain. So the flip side of wisdom is folly. Folly is always, just like wisdom is calling out to us, folly is always calling out to us. The folly of mockers brings them to suffer alone. When you live this way, when you are a person of folly, you alienate yourself. You don't win people over, and you have a lonely existence because you're always pushing people back by the way that you're responding to them and the way you're living out your life. Listen to this description of folly and tell me if you want to hang out with her. Kind of ticks me off that they made folly a woman, but it's God's word, so we'll just go with it. <laughs> So it says in verse 13, folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. So far, you want to hang out with her? No. She sits at the door of her house on a high seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. So how does it sound at Folly's house? You want to go in? No. This is just the way Solomon uses words to paint the pictures of the lessons he's trying to teach are amazing. In this picture being painted of folly, it says she is loud. Can you picture a loud woman sitting at the door of her house? Picture that. Her temptations are many and her lure is strong. She's working hard to get people to come in. She is simple and not knowledgeable. So folly is a dumb blonde. <laughs> That's not what it says. No, some translations actually say that she is stupid. Who wants to hang out with somebody who's stupid? She is seductive and calls out to all who pass by. She is screaming your name. She's calling out to you, come in here. Come see what I have. She's inviting you. Come to my house. Everything is free. The rent is free. You don't have to pay anything. Come on in. The stolen water is sweet. Take what you can get and don't think of paying any price for it. And the food eaten in secret tastes better. Have you ever eaten food in secret? I bet all of you have. You're supposed to be on this diet, not eating this or that, and you kind of find your little corner and your little treat, and you eat it in secret. And then afterwards, you're like, oh, why did I do that? Yeah, so this is a total deception. It's a total deception. Folly is always talking. Have you ever been around someone who never stops talking? Ugh, wears me out. Folly is selfish. Who wants to hang out with someone who's selfish? Folly ignores the rules. And folly ignores those who care about the rules. She has no regard for them. This would just drive my daughter Jessica crazy. She is all about the rules. Folly is a downward slope. It's the easy step. 
If you accept the invitation to her house, to the house of folly, you will be partying. The scripture says this. You will be partying with the dead. It's a dead man's party. They are not experiencing life to the full because you know why folly comes in? Folly comes in to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Folly works to move you as far away from Christ as possible. Folly works to blind you to what is good and right and holy and righteous and pure and to send you on a downward spiral to hell. The question tonight for you is, in whose house are you going to abide? Where do you want to dwell? Think about the pictures that were painted by Solomon. Do you want to live in the house of wisdom where there's promises of more days and years added to your life and rewards that come from seeking after God and following him and pursuing wisdom? Or do you want to live with the stupid, loud-mouthed woman who simply wants to destroy you? Man, it seems like a simple choice, doesn't it? Seems like an easy choice. There are two voices calling out to you, wisdom and folly. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 6, the mind governed by the flesh, or folly, is death. But the mind governed by the spirit or wisdom is life and peace. Oh, the decision is so easy. It's so easy. Wisdom or folly? How do you want to live your life? How do you want to experience the life that God has for you? You're only going to find that if you choose wisdom. Let's pray. God, I love you so much. And I thank you for every man and woman in this room. God, I pray that you would help us to be pursuers of your wisdom, that you would give us lives of integrity and wisdom, that you would help us to root out the secret sin in our lives, the things that we do that that we try to cover up or we try to hide and that you would help us to root that out and to invite you to do that moving and that working inside of us, helping us to see the things that we need to change and the things that need to be thrown out of our lives altogether so that we can be pursuers of wisdom. Help us to live, Father, authentic Christian lives. Help us to be faithful men and women devoted to you, devoted to pursuing your ways and your wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Renee. There's no sense in dismissing quite yet. You just get soaking wet if you went outside. Uh, Let me tell you two things that strike me about the qualities of a person uh, with folly that I've seen. Uh, one is they, because the, the question Renee asks is so good, why does anybody want to be with them? Uh, one of the qualities is they can be very funny. They can really be cutting. Uh, they can be gossipy. They can be destructive in their words. And yet they do it in a funny way. 
and it's kind of entertaining. Come into my house, come into my house. And they kind of surround themselves. Now, it's, it's amazing because I've seen this with some people where a person who has been hurt by the person of folly later gets sucked in to the person of folly because they're so uh, funny and, and entertaining and come into my house and be a part, and then they get hurt by them again. And so you just got to pay attention. Is this person speaking words of life or are they speaking words of destruction? And, and here's what you have to understand. If I'm talking, uh, you know, to Terry, and, and I'm, I'm talking about, you know, Stan, and I'm saying, you know, even in an entertaining kind of fun way, negative things about Stan, what should, what should Terry expect me to do when I'm with somebody else? I'm going to talk about him. Because it's the nature of who I am. And as soon as we learn that, we go, hey, the spirit this person's talking to me in is they're talking about me in. The other character is they can be very intriguing. Uh, they can have things that, that seem intriguing. They can seem, and yet they don't really, as Renee talked about tonight, they don't really have the knowledge. They, they have pretend knowledge. They talk about knowing things they really weren't in the room to know. They assume things. And they suck us into the conversation. And we begin to develop feelings out of, from somebody who didn't really know anything. And so just, just be wise. Just be wise. And, and when, you, when, you, when you begin to feel that and sense that and God speaks that to you. Now, here's what I want you to do, because we're, we're, you know, it's raining outside, so can you hear that? Here, here's what I would encourage you to do. Uh, I'm going to just take about two minutes, pick up your notes, look at your notes, and do this. We're going to take about two minutes and do this. Just kind of pray through your notes. This is why we do notes. I would encourage you to do this every Sunday afternoon or every Monday. Take the notes from the message. And kind of pray through them and say, God, do you have anything to say to me about this point? Do you have anything to say to me about this point? So it's 8 o'clock. I'm going to take two minutes. And then I'll come back and we'll pray for, for us. But just kind of look at it and say, God, do you have anything to say to me? This is uh, one of the ways you can really learn to hear God's voice is when you take the time inside of a message to say, okay, God, what are you saying to me? That's why I wanted to do this tonight, because, boy, there was a lot of great points in what Renee shared with us tonight. To take the time to just kind of work your way through it and say, God, are you saying anything to me about this? I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come up to me after church and say, oh, Pastor, you really spoke to me. And I've almost learned that that's a scary statement. And, uh, and it's a, the scary question to say, how? And, and they will, some, so many times I've had people look at me and they'll take one point, maybe even a small point in the message, and they will start unfolding something about how God spoke to them. What's happened in that? God wanted to speak to them about that issue. They, they didn't even hear the rest of the message. God was dealing with them about that one thing. 
And now they walk away going, boy, pastor really spoke to me. You know what? The Lord really spoke to him that day. He was really talking to him that day. And so as we come in, listen, hungry and thirsting for righteousness. God, speak to me. Talk to me through a message like tonight. Really talk to me. Really teach me something. Really let me grab a hold of something. God will speak to you, and then it's up to you to obey him. Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we want to hear your voice. We want to be a church that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for we know we'll be filled. And so, Lord, I pray that we would approach your word on Sunday, on Wednesday night, as we read your word. Let us approach it with this intent to grow in you. I pray you'd bless the men and women who are here tonight. Let their lives and their lights shine in this dark world for the glory of your kingdom. And, Father, let us walk in the wisdom of your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in the name of the Lord.